you are listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast, and I am so glad that you are here. This is episode 159, and I am Rick Thomas. If you want to talk to me, let's do that. We have one place and one place only. It's on our forums. We have so many platforms, and we have so many people that are asking us questions, a blessing from God. Therefore, we have no choice but to funnel them into our forums. That way we can keep track and make sure that no one falls through the cracks. You are important to us, and we do want to make sure that we can respond to you quickly, promptly, competently, but we need for you to do that. You have to come to our forums, and we promise by the grace of God not to turn you away. I have a busy podcast here. It's episode 159. As I said, the title of it is Distinguishing Good and excellent counselors, and so I need to get into it. We had a discussion on our Mastermind Forum. Our Mastermind Forums are private forums that nobody in the world can access except for our Mastermind students, and we were talking last week about the difference between good and excellent counselors. In fact, one of my students responded to one of the assignments that he sent in, and I made some comments on it. I was appealing to him to be more practical. We need to be more practical. And he's a humble guy. And so he put it out on our Mastermind private forums. And he said, you know, how can I do this? What are some ways that I can do this? And it generated a lot of buzz amongst our mass, some of our Mastermind students. And so what I did is I took some of the thoughts that we had in those forums and I put it in this podcast And I titled it, again, episode 159. If you want to read the show notes, I would encourage you to do that. Distinguishing Good and Excellent Counselors. I have three other articles here. I have a 9-minute, 41-second video uh, that you can also look at. And then, of course, all of the show notes. And so there's a lot of information. Let me give you the big idea Everybody can counsel according to their God-given capacity. Now, there's two things in that sentence. Everybody, meaning every Christian is what I'm talking about. Every Christian can counsel, but, and, you can counsel according to your God-given capacity. Now, this implies that there are differences between good counselors and excellent counselors. We're not the same. And so in this podcast, I'm not going to make an appeal for you to counsel or disciple. Those are synonyms in this context. And so I'm not going to make that appeal other than to say you need to be doing it. (laughs) But what I want to talk about are the differences between a good counselor, which you are, and an excellent counselor, which you may be. Paul said in Romans 15, 14, I am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are filled with goodness. You're filled with all knowledge, and you're able to instruct one another. And so if you have been regenerated by the power of the gospel, you are a good counselor. But I want to talk about the difference between a good one and an excellent one, because you need to know that everybody who counsels might not, they may be in the wrong spot, meaning you can have your one-to-one meetings where you encourage someone and pray for someone. And then you have, on the other extreme, high-end formalized counselors where you sit in a room, maybe, 
with someone and you work through detailed, intricate, unique problems to the individual that you are meeting, well, that's another ball game. And you need to know if you are able to do that or not. You are able to disciple slash counsel, but you might not be able to do it on a high-end formalized way. And it's important to know the differences. Now, let me start by talking about the three components of discipleship or three, three components of counseling. They are theology, psychology, and application. Now, I'm using the word psychology in the most biblical sense, psyche logos, the study of the soul. We know from our worldview that the only people who have the ability to study the soul accurately are Christians because we are studying the soul book, which is the Bible. But theology is one, and it's understanding Christian doctrine. Psychology, or you can use the word sanctification, that's fine. Understanding Christian sanctification. Now, the reason it's important to know these two things, well, theology is obvious. Uh, Theology is the foundation, the bedrock to everything that we do. The house that you build, you will either build it on sand or you would build it on a rock. And that rock, well, it's Christ, of course, according to the Sermon on the Mount. But I also mean it to be sound theology because Christ (laughs) is the soundest of all theologians And we want to know what he knows. And so we must have sound theology. And then as you work out of that sound theology, as it pertains to the human condition, you need to understand psychology, meaning you need to understand a person's soul from a theocentric perspective, a biblical theological perspective. Now, these first two components are the easy parts, honestly. The hardest part is the last part, and that is application, where you take the knowledge of the Bible, the doctrine, the teaching, the theology, you take your understanding of sanctification, the soul, the doctrine of the soul, psychology, but then you apply it. Now, Christians love studying theology, and they really enjoy these sanctification books, and I praise God for that. I'm glad they want to dig deep in theology. I am glad they love the excellent books that Christian authors put out into the public space. Always love theology, always love studying about the human condition, psychology. But Christians struggle with taking their Bible knowledge and connecting it to real people with real problems practically. Practically applying the Bible is much harder than studying the Bible. The application phase of Christian discipleship is where I push my students, and that is where I was pushing my student, which is why he put the question on our private mastermind forum, will help me to understand this idea of of making it practical. And that's what we talked about, and that's why we have this podcast here. Now, there are different types of disciple makers. Let me share with you a few of those. One, we have those who are not interested in helping others. Now, that's a shame. We have Christians who are just aren't interested in helping others, and it's important for them to know that they are counseling by their apathy. They are counseling by their lack of modeling of the gospel. They are counseling by withholding instruction. 
These are the worst type of Christian counselors, those who aren't interested in helping others. Because the, the deal is, is that there is only one option. You are counseling. The question that we're asking is whether it's good counsel or bad counsel. That's what we're trying to distinguish in this podcast. Episode 159, distinguishing between good and excellent counselors. And this first type of disciple maker, they are not good or excellent because they're not interested in helping others. Then we have another kind, those who are afraid to help others. I totally understand this kind. I was in this number for a long, long time. And so I get the fear aspect. And what you really need to do is to own that and then start talking about it with a competent friend so you can work through it. You don't want to stay there. You don't want to be inhibited from helping others. And so you need someone that will listen to you, mentor you, and lovingly push you out of this fear so that you can move beyond being afraid to where you're actually helping someone according to the gifting that God has given you. And then there's a third kind, those who want to learn but are unsure how to go about it. And there are plenty of those as well. And praise God, they're moving out of the fear phase, and they do want to learn. They just don't know how to go about it. And if you're in that phase, well, please get on our forums and let's talk. I think we can help you, give you some guidance at least. And then the fourth kind is those who speak mainly from their experience when helping others. This is not bad all the time, but it is bad most of the time. You don't want to always be talking from your experience. And unfortunately, I mean, this is where they are, so they can only share with what they have from an experiential basis. But our discipleship, for it to be good, we need to be broader than that. We need to understand the human condition outside of our experience. In fact, you'll have some people who say, well, I can't help them because I haven't walked in their steps. Now, there is no question that empathy, sympathy for someone is wonderful, and the fact that you have walked in those steps can be a, a huge means of grace for the person that you're helping, but that's not an exclusive thing. I can only help those that I have a similar experience. If you take that as far as you can possibly take it, you would disqualify Jesus because he didn't smoke dope and sleep around and get drunk and et cetera, et cetera, or whatever the human condition is on the depravity side of things, but he understood theology, he understood the human condition, and he was able to bring those two aspects together into application, even though he did not have their unique experience. And so there's those who speak mainly from their experience, good, but not you need to do better than that. And then number five, you have those who repeat what they have read from a book or what they have heard someone teaching. This is not bad, but it's similar to the group who only helps within this narrow confine of their experience. This is the group that only helps according to the width and the breadth and the depth of of their teaching, of what they have heard. But then you have this last group, these are the people who know how to discern people. They have insight. They can discern what the problem is, and then they have creativity. They can creatively work the problem in a customized way. God has given them the gift to intuit the person, discern the person with whom they are speaking, 
and they know how to customize God's word to that person. They're not mapping their experience over the individual, and they're not just pulling the last thing that they read or heard and saying, well, I just heard this, and here, try this. They're not doing that. This Christian has Bible training. They understand doctrine, and they're growing in their theological understanding, but they also know that they must rely on the Spirit of God to uniquely illuminate their minds during the discipleship process. Now, this is the pneumatic element of discipleship. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But those are the six types, and this is probably not an exhaustive list, and maybe you can think of others. That's fine. But I just want to give you this spectrum of the different types of disciples, disciple makers. The worst would be those Christians not interested in helping, and the best would be those who know how to discern the individual and customize their soul care. As far as soul care is concerned, there are five elements of discipleship in some kind of order. And this is a good order that I'm going to give you. Number one is prayer. That is the most important element within a discipleship context because the person who understands this, they know who the counselor is. And the counselor is the Spirit of God. And they talk to him often, especially during the counseling process. Number two is practice. They spend their lives studying God's Word, their Christian lives studying God's Word and applying it to themselves. They are their number one counselee, and so they practice. They study theology, they study sanctification, and they apply it to their lives. They are always in the laboratory, or to put it in uh, counseling parlance, they are always on the couch practicing what they are studying from God's Word and studying about the human condition, psychology, and applying it to their lives. And number three, they are pneumatic. They ask the Spirit to take all of their training. Now listen to this. When I say all of their training, I mean all of their training from their pre-salvation experience and their post-salvation experience. They take all of their training from their pre- and post-salvation experience and education to help disciple the individual. The reason I say pre-salvation experience is because God did not show up on their scene when they got saved. God was there in eternity past, as we learn in Ephesians 1, and God had given them a life before they were born again, and so God was in their life before they ever met God at the point of regeneration, and so you don't want to dismiss your past, but as a Christian, you have the ability to filter your past through a theological filter. Therefore, you can benefit from the things that have happened in your past especially when you're discipling others. And so they are pneumatic. They ask the Spirit of God to take all of their training from their pre- and post-salvation experience and education and to help them disciple the person. And so there is prayer, there is practice, there is pneumatic, and then four, there is prophecy. And what I mean by prophecy is they speak forth in faith the customized words that they believe God wants the individual to hear. My good Baptist friends would say, God laid something on my heart. Well, that's fine. The Bible word would be prophecy, not in the sense that they're speaking revelation or the words of God. That's foolishness. 
That's heresy. But they're speaking forth what they believe. The Spirit of God is illuminating them to speak. You don't want to be self-reliant in the counseling process. You want to be dependent on the Spirit of God. And so point number three was pneumatic. Well, point number four has to be prophecy. As God illuminates your mind, now you speak forth in a customized way to the person who is sitting in front of you. And then number five, you prayerfully trust God for all outcomes from the watering and the planting that you did. And so the five elements of discipleship are prayer, practice, pneumatic, prophecy, and patience. Now, I want to talk about the three characteristics or the four characteristics, excuse me, of an excellent of excellent counselors. Again, this is episode 159. I'm trying to distinguish between good and excellent counselors. And if you want to do a deeper dive into this idea, then I have a video here that's almost 10 minutes and is titled Assessing a Person for Leadership. And I want to share with you the four assessment points that I use when I try to discern the ability of each individual mastermind student, and they are in this order. I'll I'll give you the four, and then I'll come back and I'll talk through them. Four characteristics of excellent counselors. Number one, character. Number two, calling. Number three, capacity. And number four, charisma. Character is the foundational qualities that you build your life on. Some ideas of what character would be like. You could say the fruit of the Spirit would be part of that, but it's much more than that. Humility, obviously, is a big one, but there are so many character qualities. Patience, for example, uh, the mortification of sin, but it's who you are as an individual. It is what God is doing inside of your heart. The second characteristic is calling. When I talk about the idea of calling, I'm talking about internal call and external call. Internal call is subjective, and it's what you believe God is calling you to do. External call is the affirmation of those who know you best, and it's one of the reasons that I want our students to go through a two to three year program with me and the other people on the the other mastermind students. And it allows us to observe the person uh, to see if they have these qualities. And again, that's subjective analysis too. But again, there are wisdom in a community of counselors. See, if you believe Some people believe that they're called to do something, but no one else actually believes that about them. If you're truly a leader, then you should turn around, and there should be people following you. You should have a gathering ability. There's people that want to talk to you. There's people that want your services. There's people that want you to counsel them. And if you don't have people lining up, you may feel like you're called, but the external analysis, the external observation says something different. And that's why when I say calling, there's an internal and an external call. Do other people sense the thing that you sense as they observe your life and interact with you? Number three is capacity. Everyone has a specific soul size. And so there, there are big-souled individuals. Paul would be one of those, of course. And then you have faint-hearted 
people, which means literally a small soul person. And so what is your soul capacity? And that will determine the ability that you have to be a good or an excellent counselor. And then number four is charisma. Are you per- persuasive? Are you winsome? Are you intreatable? Jesus was a charismatic personality. He had a way about him that people wanted to be with him, and he persuaded people, and he had that drawing ability. He, he had charisma. And so the four characteristics of excellent counselors are character, calling, capacity, and charisma. Every mastermind student that comes through our program will not be able to be an excellent counselor because God has not given that, them that ability to be a high-end formalized counselor. But what they will be is they will be excellent disciples. They can be outstanding small group leaders. They can definitely be a good friend. And so it is important that we understand each other and that we're able to discern each other. And we just don't want to uh, say that you are an excellent counselor because you received this training or uh, you're doing such and such. We want to make sure that we are discerning people. And one of the ways I want to talk more about this idea of pneumatic, and I call it the difference between the parrot and the pneumatic. There's a difference between parroting information to a counselee versus being pneumatic while you're meeting with a counselee. The parroting counselor is just taking the information from their training and just feeding it to the person that they're talking to. And honestly, that can be uh, dangerous. The pneumatic discipler is not as fearful. They're not as intimidated. Uh, They do have a breadth of understanding to where they can discern and intuit the person that they are talking to. And so this is not an exhaustive list, but I want to give you three characteristics of the differences between a what I call a parrot counselor and a pneumatic counselor. One of the differences is this idea of, of predetermined counseling, meaning preparation before the counseling session. The novice counselor, or what I was calling the parrot counselor, what he will want to do is he, want to, he will want to prep as much beforehand so that he can predetermine what he's going to say before he meets the counselee. This is one of the reasons that they will do intake forms. And I, these things are minimally dangerous. They could be a lot worse than that. But what I was saying earlier that what you want to do is that you want to take all of your counseling experience And you want to rely on the Spirit of God. And there is a a blend here. I'm not talking about a lack of professionalism, and I'm definitely not talking about a lack of competence. I'm not saying that you throw your training out the door. But there is a danger here when you use intake forms and you pre-prep for the person that you are meeting because people are not static individuals. They are fluid individuals. And also, intake forms uh, is one of the worst ways to try to discern an individual. For example, a woman may write a lot on those forums, and a man may write in monosyllabic grunts, and it's really not helpful, and there's no pneumatic experience there. The best way to do an intake form 
is to sit down with the person and ask them the questions that you want to ask them and be pneumatic about it and then observe them and interact with them and you have follow-up and it's all at the moment. And the experienced counselor knows this. He knows how to trust God while meeting the counselee at the moment with customized care. They have spent their entire lives in training, as I was saying earlier, even their pre-salvation experience. But they have spent their entire lives in training, and they have been learning how to trust God, and they know that God will use both of those things, all the training and all the trust, and they will, God will mix those things together and use it pneumatically with the person that you're meeting with, and that person will receive your care, and they will appreciate your adaptability and your flexibility, your willingness to listen to them rather than just coming into the meeting with a predetermined agenda that you want to uh, convey to the person. And so this first distinction between a parrot counselor who just parrots information and a pneumatic counselor is predetermined counseling. The second one is mapped learning. And what I mean by that is that novice counselors will repeat what they read or what they have learned, and they will map their learning over the counselee regardless of whether it perfectly perfectly fits the individual and their situation. The experienced counselor, they have a symbiotic relationship with the Spirit of God, and they believe that He will bring to their remembrance what they need in the moment. And then the third idea is the novice counselors are resting on this latest knowledge gained, and so therefore the counseling that they give can never be any better than whatever's at the top of their minds. But the experienced counselors are resting on God to use their entire life, to use their entire knowledge base from which to bring a nuanced and customized care to the unique person who is sitting in front of them. Now, there are two liabilities for counselors that truly hinder them from doing counseling well. One of those is fear, and the second one is certification. Let me take the fear aspect first. Uncertainty about how to disciple cannot be your starting point. The woman at the well said that she, she, she said what she knew. She said everything that she knew about Jesus and then she appealed to the crowd to see Jesus for more detailed help. You see, there are two ditches here that you want to avoid. And one ditch is the paralyzing fear that keeps you from doing anything to help a person. And in the other is not knowing your limitations, where you are uh, acting in a pay grade where you're not qualified to perform. And so you don't want to disqualify yourself by paralyzing fear. You work within your capacity. And if all you can say at this moment is come see a man, then say that. Let that be your counseling. But then in the other ditch, make sure that you know your limitations. And so you don't want to go from fear to arrogance uh, in your counseling discipleship experience. And then this second issue here, this second liability, or what could be a liability, is certification. And certification has a connotation. And the connotation is, is that because you are certified, it means that you're able to counsel, and that may not be true. 
This is one of the reasons we don't certify people in our program. We train Christians to be the best that God has called them to be, and we don't want to suggest in any way that every person who finishes our program is at the top range of discipleship ability. Now, I'm not opposed to certification. You can get certification at the end of our program through IABC, not through us, but it's an add-on if you want to get it. But I want you to be cautious, and I want you as a counselee to be discerning. Just because the person is certified, it doesn't mean that the individual is an excellent counselor. It could be just a parrot counselor. They're they're, they're just parroting the information that they have learned through their certification program. But there is a difference between a good counselor and an excellent one, and it's imperative for us to know the difference if we are receiving counseling from someone, and it's important for us to know the difference if we are the counselor, which we are, and we need to know where we are, and so we don't want to be inhibited by fear to where we don't say anything, but we also don't want to be in that other ditch where we think that we are something that we are not because we can end up hurting a lot of people. Now, if you want to talk about this, there's a lot to talk about, and I have a lot in the show notes here, and I would encourage you to look through the things that I have written out for you, look through the two videos that I have in these show notes, as well as three additional articles if you want to do more reading on it. And then finally, if you do want to talk, I would love to talk to you about it. Uh, Jump on our forums. Make sure you have a username and a password. Those things are free. And then make sure that you are logged in. And then if you're logged in with your unique username and password, let's talk about this or anything else that you have on your heart. This is episode 159, Distinguishing Good and Excellent Counselors. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.